I think it was as much as anything, it was a drive to, uh, to not have those challenges going forward that I'd faced as a, as a kid. That exchange between human beings and their interface with, a, with technology, the challenges are kind of universal even today. So it was very foundational for me. A lot of people look at it and say, what are you nuts? I have no interest in that. It can be a very personal uh, rejection. So uh, you got to suit up and be ready to play. But if you are not committed mentally and you're not enthusiastic and passionate and, and quite frankly, dedicated to a fault, uh, it's very difficult for most, most of us to find success. And by the way, on the human front, I think we would all agree right now in the public discourse, we could use a lot more praise and a lot more acknowledgement and recognition of people than, than uh, maybe the uh, reverse it makes business sense to say thank you as an organization. It's not just good for the heart, it's good for your P&L. And, and that's what's so wonderful about Grata. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Love Success podcast. I'm super excited to be here today as always with you guys. Uh, we are here to share stories, to share ideas, to give you tools to create a better life. If you haven't met me before, my name is Peter Jumrukovsky. I'm a former world medalist, athlete, author, and uh, very, very passionate about stories and what makes us happy, what makes us successful, and how do we build a good life. This week, we have a serial entrepreneur, and I'm really excited. Today, he's in Austin. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's welcome Mark Bunting. Hey, Peter. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. And if we go back, Mark, to when you were, were a kid, can you just talk about that? Do you have, what, what do you recall as a kid that sparked that interest for entrepreneurship? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure I can trace it all the way back to uh, early childhood. I know that I grew up in a family of, of people who had their own individual businesses. Uh, none were what you would call uh, large successes financially, but all in their own right, either as tradesmen or craft people or, or retailers had successful independent businesses. So part of my DNA was growing up around my own family and just you didn't work for other people, at least not at a certain point in your life. So I had a little bit of that, I think, that was really helpful. I think as much as anything, we had some, um, my own family went through some financial turmoil as my father was changing careers. And so we had a fair amount of instability. And so I really did, I think I rolled out of high school with a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I was determined not to have some of the same challenges. And uh, I went to three different high schools in four different years in three different states. And it was just, I think it was as much as anything, it was a drive to, uh, to not have those challenges going forward that I'd faced as a, as a kid. Totally understand. And how, you know, that driver, how did that help you, you know, to do more and work harder or smarter or, you know, kind of go after what a lot of people, you know, are, if you have it too well, sometimes it could be, you can go into a comfort zone, right? Yeah, no, that's, listen, it's a great question. I think any entrepreneur that, that has some success and builds a family and has some net worth, for example, you ask yourself these questions about your own children, right? And will they have the same sort of level of motivation? And, and uh, there's a whole spectrum of different answers and outcomes to that question. But I think, um, you know, at the end of the day, I was hungry 
And uh, I was really, really hungry. And that played, I think, such a critical role. But also, too, if uh, I think if you if you having to work part time for some of your college money or all of your college money or are you having to pay for your own things, the younger that happens, it just becomes a part of your sort of core DNA. And I don't know if I call it work ethic. I probably do. Um, but I think by necessity, many of us just grew up working because we had to. If you wanted that thing, I had to go get a job. <laughs> there was just no money laying around for that thing, right? So I think, again, I don't look at it in any uh, way, shape, or form as engineered. It was just a natural uh, a byproduct of the life I had. I had a great life and, and a, a comfortable or secure life. But, um, but financially, I had to fend for myself pretty, pretty early on. Can we talk about what was your first uh, company that that was unsuccessful or successful, and and how did you how did you get the idea and just talk about the process a little bit? Yeah, so I think going all the way back to college, uh, uh, I ran into a guy that had access to importing name brand seconds uh, in fashion, and when I say seconds. If uh, you get a Ralph Lauren polo shirt with the polo man stitched on the front of the golf shirt, if there's an irregularity in that stitching in any way, it doesn't pass the code for Ralph Lauren, so it's thrown out the back and supposed to be destroyed. Well, lo and behold, I had somebody that was accessing all these seconds, and we ended up creating a, a direct to market business where we would go to fraternity houses and sorority houses and sell these seconds at a, at a very big discount. You can see I'm dating myself. I'm saying that Ralph Lauren was, was very hip on college campuses at the time. Um, I still love Ralph Lauren. <laughs> I, I do too. I do too. It's just, I'm, I'm not sure it's got the same status inside the Greek community that it might've had those years ago. But, um, uh, fast forward, uh, we were making a lot of money uh, selling those uh, selling those clothes, and so that was probably my first kind of direct to consumer engagement, other than mowing yards and stuff in high school. And, and it was successful enough that it really helped me financially, you know, in college. That is until at some point in the future when I got a cease and desist letter from the Ralph Lauren company that said you're not supposed to have access to these products, and that technically it's illegal to be selling them. So stop. So stop, I did. Lesson learned. Uh, uh, I didn't have the uh, wherewithal to know the legalities of whether or not I was supposed to be selling them. I learned very quickly. But that was probably my first nascent company, you know, uh, as a kid. My first real, real entrepreneurship, I left my job at the Wall Street Journal where I had been in, in San Francisco and I had been in publishing. I was down in Los Angeles, not far from you, uh, for uh, some time as well. And my first company was selling computers into the home market, literally door to door. So think about this, uh, and this is circa 1991. I would go out into suburban Houston, and in the evenings, I had gone back to Houston where I'd started my career, and literally had a bevy of college kids, and we would knock on doors, and we would have a, a computer on a flight attendant's little luggage rack with bungee cords on it, and we would go in people's living rooms and show them what they could do with a home computer, because I know it sounds crazy, but people had not had one before and didn't know what to do. And uh, so I learned a lot of lessons about going into people's homes and what experience and challenges they had with embracing technology. And that was really foundational. I didn't make a lot of money with the business. It was challenged and the cost of delivery model wouldn't scale. But during the process, I got a call from a, a guy who'd been in the business for maybe six or eight years who was pretty successful named Michael Dell who uh, invited me to come uh, visit with him because he thought he might want to buy it. I didn't sell it to him, but I sold it to someone else. And as a late 20-something, I put a little bit of money in my back pocket with my first truly successful 
uh, venture. Uh, so I don't know if I grade that as, as a win or a success. I think it was a win. It was a small one, but it was early enough in my career that I got a lot of training and I got a couple of bucks. I love that. And can we just talk about that, you know, actually going out and going after your clients like you did in that way? What was the uh, fears you had doing that? And what did you learn by interacting with people uh, by knocking on their doors? Yeah. Well, think about think about the knowledge that you get from having face-to-face discussions with a customer in their home. I mean, we were doing, in essence, evangelism work, trying to sort of spread the gospel of what technology could do for you because people didn't really understand, right? They're like, what would I use this thing for? So uh, that was really foundational and understanding your buyer's mindset because if you're crawling around on the living room floor looking for a telephone jack to plug in a modem and a power cord and you're dealing with a family and their children and you're talking to them, that's a very intimate exchange. And so to sit there and watch them interact with my product for the very first time and the challenges, I just don't know where else you get that training. And so much of that is honestly, uh, Peter has stayed with me now for, for 30 years because you, you learn that there's that exchange between human beings and their interface with a with technology, the challenges are kind of universal even today. So it was very foundational for me. Totally understand. Did you ever fear, you know, uh, going out and knocking on people's doors, or how did you how did you overcome that? Yeah, um, I'm probably a little more gregarious by nature. It probably I, I probably had less fear than your average person, uh, but it's still intimidating. And, and let's be super clear. Uh, nine out of 10 doors you knocked on looked at you like you were nuts, especially in 1991. Like, what? What? You're here to do what? So uh, you had to deal with a lot of rejection, right? So uh, I didn't fear that near as much as I was scared to death of not making payroll. I had started this company on a $10,000 loan, and I just didn't have a lot of wiggle room. So again, kind of like the the early stages with selling polo shirts to kind of help co- cover college expenses. Failure wasn't really an option. Uh, you know, you, you had Billy Shepard on, right? Talking about do what you fear, you know, which by the way, I thought was a great piece that, uh, that, that you did. And, you know, again, you just kind of have to embrace that fear, uh, especially as an entrepreneur, whether you're young or old, I can assure you, you're going to face challenges that you are afraid of that seem insurmountable. And one of the other rules of this crazy business we call entrepreneurialism is that you will have days that you will be atop the mountain high with your sales filled with enthusiasm and you can snap your fingers and an hour later, you look like you're on the precipice of complete and total uh, failure. So you just have to learn how to ride that. I I liken it to being an actor, man, you got to get a lot of doors slammed in your face. And if you can't be thick skinned and suit back up and take the rejection, and sometimes it feels personal because the thing you've created, a lot of people look at it and say, what are you nuts? I have no interest in that. It can be a very personal uh, rejection. So, uh, you got to suit up and be ready to play. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's it's definitely a contact sport, um, very similar to what I what I did all my life, karate. But one thing that I'm interested in when we talk about rejection and uh, you know that fear of of failing, uh, there's a lot of people listening here that wants to create something. They're on they're onto something as well. But as we know, most people quit a little bit too early. Uh, so what do you want to say to people out there now that are struggling and they're like, Hey, I'm, I think I'm doing everything, but it doesn't work. Uh, and they, they start to fear rejection and, and all of those things. Yeah. 
Well, regrettably, there is no magic bullet on exactly when to throw in the towel. Um, I wish there were. It's a. It's always a, a one of the top questions because this is a challenge. Um, well, I think I can answer it indirectly in that there's a there's a fine line between uh, being all in, burn the ships, fully committed. I'm not going anywhere, and then also being bullheaded and stubborn in the face of a lot of data that just says, "Hey, this will not work." And so again. That's a that's one I can't tell you exactly what that point is. I will tell you this: most younger or new entrepreneurs uh, fail miserably at socializing their idea and getting as much feedback as possible. Particularly very young entrepreneurs who think they can't tell anybody about their idea because they're afraid it'll be stolen. So they try to develop somewhat in a vacuum and be very limited in terms of how much they share about their project. And by the way. Nothing can be further from the truth. I've been doing this 30 years. I think I can I can name one time when somebody stole somebody's idea, and that was the supposedly the Winklevoss twins with Mark Zuckerberg. And even that one didn't stand the test of measure. So, but what you do when you share with as many people as possible is you're just harvesting more and more feedback. And I'll tell you that leads to iteration to iteration. You sharpen the sword, you get to a finer point with your product. But also as, as you're sharing, if you get a mountain of evidence and data from everybody from trusted advisors to friends to family to outsiders who should have some IP in the space, that it's not going to work and here's the reasons why and there's some consistency and here's the reasons why, you have to take a hard look and maybe you've uh, mounted the wrong horse, you know? Maybe this isn't the one to ride. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think it's sometimes also a fear of being judged and I know there's, there's a saying, you know, most men, don't don't journal because their their biggest fear is that someone would find their journal and read their thoughts, <laughs> which is unheard of, right? right. It never happens. But it's it's so interesting how we build up these things in our mind. And 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 I'm so interested in mindset. I became a world medalist by studying all these great minds and how to act under pressure. Uh, but when it comes to how much is mindset when it comes to being su- successful in business? Well, except for the few that get lucky and those do exist, but you, there's no way to sort of play the lucky card. Um, <laughs> I think mindset is everything. I mean, I've seen more what I would pa- call um, B-class entrepreneurs, meaning not the best deg- pedigree academically, not the best previous work history, but people that had a really good idea and were so fundamentally committed to success that by true grit, they were able to grind through and be successful. So I think mindset is, I don't want to say everything, you still have to have acumen and you still have to have a legitimate business proposition, but I've seen a lot of okay ideas go gangbusters and I've seen a lot of fabulous ideas with the wrong leaders go nowhere. So I think, was it, um, um, I I think that old expression, was it uh, knowledge is power? but enthusiasm pulls the switch. I think it's Ben Franklin. It's just so true, uh, not to default too much to the emotive side, but if you are not committed mentally and you're not enthusiastic and passionate and, and quite frankly, dedicated to a fault, uh, it's very difficult for most, most of us to find success. Yeah, so, so what do you do, Mark, on a day-to-day basis to, you know, to be strong in your mind and, and to stay positive, but also you know, in the moment? 
Yeah. Well, on a personal level, I start my day with with meditation and prayer, and that's just kind of rebalances me. And uh, I start off with just a thankfulness for all the things in my life because it's really it's really hard to be in a bad mood if, if you start uh, your day with listing the things that you're thankful for, whether it's your family, your good health, all the, the wonderful things in your world. So um, uh, that's where I find my peace. But when it comes to to like my uh, enterprises, like today, you know, I'm involved with Grata. Uh, Grata, I'm just so passionate about the idea that we have developed a technology that can genuinely change the lives of 80 million people. And I've never had my hands on dials this big before. So I run a bit on adrenaline just because I'm passionate about the cause. And yes, I wanna create a multi-billion dollar enterprise. And yes, the spoils from that would be wonderful. But at at this particular stage of my career, honestly, money is not the motivator, Uh, impact and change is. And so, for me, I stay tuned, quite frankly, by making sure that I'm, I'm right in my head spiritually. I'm in the gym for a couple hours every morning to start the day super early because that's another component of me being leveled. Uh, but then I run on a lot of enthusiasm because I'm just genuinely passionate about the cause and I know the impact we can have. And so you can either let that be a pressure that's debilitating because you can think of the magnitude of it. In my case, I find it incredibly empowering and uh, so I'm a bit of a junkie, I guess, on the uh, adrenaline of doing something that's really important and can really help a lot of people. Nice. So let's talk about Grata. Like, how did that idea come about? And can you just tell people what it is and, um, you know. Right. No, I'd love to. So uh, I, the easiest way for me to explain it is, is to tell you first, I'll tell you the story second, how I got there, but just explain really sort of the application. The thesis was real simple. Every time you and I get out of an Uber, there's a sequence that we go through, right? We know what that exit is. I can give a five-star rating to the driver. I can say something nice and have an optional tip, depending on how I feel, right? Five-star rating, say something nice, optional tip. Why is that limited to a couple hundred thousand Uber drivers? What about the other 80 million service sector employees in the US alone? our baristas, the people handling us our dry cleaning, the folks that, that our mechanic that does a great job. Uh, why is it we limit it just to Uber drivers? And so the initial thesis was, there's not a platform or a mechanism to recognize the good deeds of all these hardworking Americans. There's no way for them to get a permanent work record of their good deeds because there's no LinkedIn for the service sector. So when people do a good job, it falls by the wayside. It doesn't become a part of their permanent record to benefit them as they try to move up the food chain in their career. And then lastly, there was no mechanism to reward. So the idea was we could expand this and we could solve a very big need by bringing together the community of the ecosystem around the working class. You and I live in a LinkedIn world where we have LinkedIn, we have salesforce.com. We are digitally connected with our customers, our employer, our future employers, our peers. So we're in a networked world. If I'm changing tires at Discount Tire, right? Where's my connectivity? Where do I connect with my customers to build my book of business? Where do I harvest feedback if I'm super good at my job so that my resume shows how awesome that I am in the words of my customers so that I can get a raise or a promotion or a a new job somewhere else? So there was a disconnect in the ecosystem around the working class and, uh, and that's what we wanted to solve. And how, how, did, how did this idea come about? Yeah, so no, I love this story. So uh, I went into a Home Depot and I went in on Saturday and I had this little honeydew list of like five things I needed to do. 
And by the way, full confession, I, I have to tell you, Peter, I'm not naturally very handy. Okay. It's just, it's just not my <laughs> gift. Right. So I go in and I, I was going to get a, I needed to get a red wine stain out of a limestone floor. I was going to touch up some, an antique piece of furniture that got scratched. I had my list. And when I got there, this guy named Frank waited on me, perfect Home Depot name. And, and Frank said, look, I got you covered. Come with me. And for an hour and 15 minutes, he took me up and down the aisles to find all the products that I needed. But he also gave me detailed instructions on exactly how to do this stuff when I got home. And I was so blown away with this. I mean, you and I, we've all had those really great service experience where we go, God, that guy's awesome or that lady's unbelievable. So when I checked out, I made a beeline for that elevated manager stand in the back because I wanted to let them know that forevermore, I, I'm never going to a Lowe's again. I'm a Home Depot guy and I want you to know it's because of this employee. Well, um, I get to the counter and the guy says, oh, yeah, 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 he's great. Uh, uh, he's wonderful. Uh, I'm not the manager, but I'll pass it along. Have a nice day just totally blew me off. And as I'm walking back to my car, I'm thinking, well, that's really terrible because that employee is not going to get really any recognition for the great job or the praise that I delivered. It's falling and it's falling by the wayside. And then as a chief marketing officer, I started thinking, wow, what a lost opportunity for customer engagement. I literally approached the store manager to raise my hand and say, I love this guy. You guys are awesome. And they didn't make any digital or otherwise connection with me for future benefit, which is a huge miss. And then when I got in my car as a customer, this is the third group in this sequence, I realized what a, what a miss because I wish I had Larry's cell phone number or email address. I wish there was a way I could have connected with Larry so the next time I have problems, I could ping Larry and say, hey, are you working today between three and five? I would really love to get some help with blank, right? And so I realized that the miss there in that connection, and that's what led me down the path that we have to find digital tools and to solve for this problem. And when we started digging in and we realized no one had done this, all the organizations said, Mark, you have no idea what a huge thing this is. We have no data at all on our frontline employees. We can measure mid-management and senior management, but we don't have a digital version of a customer comment card where we can harvest feedback from our customers on how an individual employee is performing. If we could, it would be great. We just don't know how to get it. So we realized there was a data miss as well as a, a, a ecosystem that needed to be built. And we think we can do it on the heels of one very easy, seamless way to simply say, thank you, you did a great job, I appreciate you. And by the way, on the human front, I think we would all agree right now in the public discourse, we could use a lot more praise and a lot more acknowledgement and recognition of people than than uh, maybe the uh, reverse. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about ego. And do you think is ego a good or a bad thing? Well, obviously, it can cut both ways. I think most entrepreneurs, with the exception of maybe those that are just highly, highly technical, and at times sometimes maybe um, um, accidental entrepreneurs, I think there's some measure of ego. You know, I, I think it has to be. I, I don't. I don't think you jump on the stage to be a, a television personality, uh, a national politician, or, or want to lead a large organization without some measure of that. Uh, but again, I, I, I'm not well trained in psychology. I think there's, a, for many of us anyway, and I was pretty transparent with you about having some financial challenges young that sort of molded, I think, uh, uh, part of my drive. But on the same token, I wasn't like you. I wasn't a great athlete. And I wasn't a gifted student. 
So uh, there, I'm sure there was some core that said, I, I want to be recognized for being successful. Uh, it's just a different way than that barista wanted to be recognized and appreciated. Mine was probably on a scale, just I, I needed more. But I think ego plays a role in some capacity with all of us. Love that. Mark, I have one final question for you before I let you go. And this is something that I ask all my guests uh, because we're all about sharing stories, tools. But at the end of the day, my goal is for the people that are still here. Thank you guys. In this day and age, being one hour in, it's, it's, it's great and amazing. And uh, that is what can they do right after this podcast to get a little bit more clear on their dreams and goals and actually start taking some action? Yeah. Well, uh, I love Tony Robbins, just full disclosure. And, and, you know, he, he came out of your neck of the woods in Santa Monica and, uh, actually Tony endorsed, I did a book with Simon Schuster years ago and Tony was one of my endorsements. So again, full disclosure connection there, but, um, he has a process in, in his early books about discovering success, which was about thinking five and 10 years out, kind of imagine what you want your life to be like, right? Is that with the the handsome significant other? Is it a house on a, a white house in a nice neighborhood? Uh, is it a, a, a low stress life, but that incorporates a lot of travel and the freedom to explore the world because you're experiential? Is it a big family with a big bevy of kids in suburbia and a peaceful existence as a mom or a dad uh, maybe comparable to something you grew up with in the Midwest. I don't know. Everybody has something different. But begin with the end in mind. Where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? And then you have to ask yourself the question, is the pathway I'm on today, personally, professionally, et cetera, am I on the right path to get there? Am I in the right places to meet that person uh, that I want to share my life with? Am I, am I doing the right things, right? These are gut checks that we go through. Uh, is the career path I'm on today going to get me the life I want? If the answer is no, then you need to scratch the record. It doesn't mean that you know exactly what the answer is, but you know what the answer isn't. So I think if we could all just do a little more dreamscaping and be thinking, where do I want to wind up? And if where I'm at today's not there, then we've got to do some self-evaluation about, okay, that's not going to get me there. I'm going to wake up at 35 and 45 and 55, and I'm going to have fallen short unless I do something different and then begin that pathway of discovery to find out what that something different is if you don't know already. But if what you're doing today is not going to get you there, you've got to look deeper for what will. Yeah, it's so true. And it, it sometimes it hurts to, to see reality and to see what's going on and but I urge you, don't wait because we see what, what can happen. And as a martial artist and, you know, karateka, I think about life as one day, one lifetime because we are truly not guaranteed tomorrow. So get started and get started now. Uh, Mark Bunting, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. If people want to connect with you, where can they find you or Grata? Yeah, so uh, first of all, Grata is available for download on iTunes or on Google Play, or just go to our website, which is gratapro.com, Grata Pro, and you can easily download. Connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, especially if you uh, uh, if you have interest in Grata or if I can be a connection for you anyway, I'm happy to. And I'll just say, boy, I, I love your point about encouraging people to go now. And, and since you brought up uh, a martial arts, I'll stay in Asia. There's a great Chinese proverb. Okay, we'll move continents a little. There's a great Chinese proverb about 
Um, yesterday was the best day to plant a tree. You know what the second best day is? Today. Get going, get started. Or I think it's actually 20 years ago was the best day to plant a tree. The next best day is today. So it's about just activating and going. And so, you know, Peter, thanks for all you do, encouraging people. Great stuff here. I've really enjoyed being with you and I thank you for having me on. Thank you. And thank you everybody that are here with us today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I do this for free. I want to share as much positive content online as I possibly can. Even after, you know, I watched the social dilemma the other day and it's it's crazy. There's so much I would I'm going to say garbage and shit out there that makes our minds get get fucked up. So, please, you know, share more positive content online and in real life acknowledge people if you like what we do please share this conversation with other people so they also can get in a more positive mindset so we all can take this as a community and, and deliver more smiles more happiness more gratitude and more success uh, check us out at ilovesuccess.co there's more than 200 conversations right now check out my book the gold book where you can get like a real good roadmap to set goals and achieve them in the different areas of your life. That's it, guys. I'll see you next week. And thanks so much. <music>